This is The New Right, a podcast for the lost arts, reclaiming the literary holy land from the heathen. This is Matt Pegas. And this is Dan Baltic. And we're here today with Brad Kelly, um, whom many of our listeners will probably be familiar with. He's a personality on Twitter, but also the co-host of the Art of Darkness podcast uh, with former New Right guest Kevin Kautzman. And Brad is also a writer. He published his novel House of Sleep in January of last year, uh, which we read in preparation for this podcast, and it's going to be one of the major things we're talking about. Um, Brad also does art, I believe, uh, to some extent. Mm, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I scribble. <laughs> I will doodle. <laughs> right. Well, in any case, so what yeah. I mean to say is he's a multi-talented internet personality. Brad, welcome. Oh, to the I appreciate show. that. Yes. Thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. This is this is uh, I, I love your show. I love what you guys are doing. So I'm really uh, happy to, you know, be a part of it and be on. This is cool. Oh, Absolutely. Well, I, I thought uh, an interesting place to start um, this podcast, uh, this episode, uh, especially perhaps because, uh, you know, uh, in House of Sleep, there's kind of a whole element where your your main character is sort of, uh, how would you say, uh, just kind of circumstances line up for her to be in, at this retreat center, which we'll get to mm-hmm. later. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I thought, uh, you know, the process of us coming into contact, Brad, was, was sort of interesting, too. I uh, it was around the time this like it was a little bit before New Right started and I'd pub mm-hmm. I'd not published I'd posted an image of what I called my Twitter book collection at the time yeah. which was not yeah. actually very substantial but it had some of the some uh, of the Billy you know, Pratt's the, book I think uh, which one uh, Billy Billy Pratt's book yeah I think. Billy yeah. Billy Pratt's book was front and center which had come out recently last summer and then you know like Bronze Age mindset and mm-hmm. Delicious Tacos kind of just like the greatest hits and I threw the yeah. image up and you responded um basically saying you know you, you want another free addition to that and you <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and you mailed me uh free of charge uh house of sleep now i didn't actually yeah. end up reading the book until until this year but um but you did send it last year which was very much appreciated and it, it arrives sure. it was like a you know, black bubble wrapped package with like <laughs> silver, uh, I think, if I remember correctly, silver Sharpie letter. Yeah. It was uh, it was all very sort of mystical. And then most mystical of all <laughs> uh, was that there was a tarot card uh, sticking out of it. Sure. Um, yeah, that sounds like that sounds like me. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I, I gather at the time you were looking to send 
send the book out. I think you said it in your DM to me that you were looking to send the book out to as many interesting people as possible. And I, yep. I gather you probably sent this package to, to many people. Uh, yeah, it would be dozens now. Yeah, for yeah. sure. For sure. Yeah, well, yeah. it's, that's my, that's uh that's actually, it's, self-promotion but it's a little bit of a magical ritual too to be honest oh uh, so, yeah i don't i yeah. don't doubt it that's what i yeah. assumed um and in, yeah. by the way um we'll get more into this later but i think the degree to which you've been able to self-promote house of sleep seems extremely effective and we'll definitely like ask you about your strategies there because you got a lot of reviews from different corners of the internet which yeah. is awesome yeah. But, yeah um in terms of the ritual of it all uh yeah i I have the the book in the card right here. I okay. I got a. I, I have like the blur thing on. Um, oh yeah, yeah. On Zoom, so, but it's a, a Four of Pentacles. Four of Pentacles, yeah. And, and that's from the the. I believe that's from the Hermetic Tarot deck. Okay. Yeah. yeah. What, there's uh, many. There's many many different decks, obviously. So. Right. So it's not the basic. I was learning a little mm -hmm. bit about this yesterday because I know very little about it actually. But it's not the sure. basic weight deck. It's a specifically. Yeah. Yeah, it's not the the right the Rider Waite Smith deck um, that you most commonly will see, but there are dozens, hundreds of hundreds of different decks. So, I see. Yeah. Um, so, I guess my my question then is, uh, I mean, basically, will, will you? Is, is it too late? I mean, I got this last June, but can you interpret the significance of my pulling? I think again, I think it was reversed. It was a while ago. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I I could definitely give you a, a a symbolic interpretation of that card, and then you it's up to you to determine whether or not that's meaningful to you. I guess um, the reverse thing. There's there's two schools within the tarot world. Uh, well, there's many many schools, but on this issue, there's two schools. There's there's a school who believes in in reading reversals. Um, I find some merit in that perspective. Um, I kind of think they don't. Ma it doesn't matter mm -hmm. if they're reversed or not. Uh, mostly because even in the reversal, it's not that the symbology changes, it's that it gets inverted. So there's a way to phrase the symbology, the in symb symbolic interpretation, so you can take the inverse or the or the, the straight reading and, and, and kind of digest it based on what means the most to you. So so we'll just read it as a, and I'll, I'll give you, I actually see in that outline, I, I pulled up the, so you can see the Rider-Waite-Smith version. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so little different. Uh, Pamela Coleman Smith illustrated, you know, the the what's called the pip cards or the minor arcana cards, which typically hadn't been done up to that point. So, uh, four of pentacles. So, a handful of things to kind of keep in mind there. So, the pentacles um, are one of the four suits. It's uh, typically uh, uh, like a coin. In some decks, it's referred to as a coin. Um, in in Rider Waite Smith and a lot of other traditions, it has a five pointed star on it, but it doesn't have to. Um, the way I look at this, and I didn't invent this, this is from, I kind of first started picking up on this with Robert Wang, but there were some other folks too, um, is in the union system, there's four ways of uh, mental, four quadrants of mental activity. Um, and a suit, the suits are, each suit represents one of these four. So there's um, wands would represent the in intuitive quad quadrant, swords would represent the intellectual or cognitive component, cups would represent the feelings or emotions, and pentacles would represent the sensorium. So in real Renaissance fair level readings, they're going to treat that as things like money, mm -hmm. um, you know, hard tack, things that you can put your hands on. Um, I think a, a more sophisticated reading puts it in the realm of, um, sort of 
a card referred to uh, referring to the real world and how you see it, how you taste it, how you touch it, how you, you know, how you actually interact with the hard tack real world. It's really easy in like spiritual community or whatever to kind of pretend like the real world is irrelevant. And it's just something we're trying to get away from. Um, and I think that's, I think that's ultimately dangerous though. There's some value to that idea, kind of that idealism. Um, so we're in the realm of, we're in the realm of, uh, it's earth signs. We're in the realm of the sensory, the, the, what we can touch, what we can feel, what we can hold on to. So resources are like this too. Money is one, but you know, things like health, um, uh, to a certain extent relationships, but not in so much the love part, a sort of a networked relationship, you know, mm-hmm. that you might have for business or friends or whatever. Um, and knowledge like education might be caught up in this card. So, excuse me. So a four of pentacles, what you're seeing, particularly in the Rider Waite Smith deck is uh, fours are in this case, it's, it's a partial completion. It's a partial having, um, but it's still somewhat um, premature. It hasn't reached full completion, but there's a, there's a moment of, okay, I've got these things and I've got to hang on to them. I've got to kind of possess them as much as I can. And that's why you see in, in the, the Rider Waite Smith, the guy looks fairly defensive, right? He's, yeah. he's, he's, he's like hanging on to these things. And, and, and rightly so. I mean, he's, they've been earned. They've been gathered through the experience of life. So, so it makes sense to hang on to them. What's worth noting in the, symbol, the sim, symbolism of these things goes so deep, you can never reach the bottom of it. So it's worth noting that in the Rider Waite Smith, um, it, where it's very on the surface, He's blocking some things with the coins. He's blocking the what you might call the crown chakra. Um, and you know, whether you're into chakras or not, these are symbolic mm-hmm. patterns that are very, very old. So they mean something even poetically. Um, the crown chakra, the heart and the heart chakra, he's blocking. So, you know, uh this is something about allowing the things that we hold on to, resources, money, knowledge, to block our active intelligence um in terms mm-hmm. of finding new things, figuring new things out. It's like, I already know everything. <laughs> I've yeah. already been around the block enough. And then over the heart is being careful not to, you know, let those things block your compassion for other people. Right. So, so like most cards, it's sort of, it's, there's positive and negatives. There's a sort of a warning and it doesn't mean that you're doing any of these things necessarily, but it might be just a reminder, like, Hey, watch out. Don't let this happen to you right? Like yeah. it doesn't mean you're even doing it now, right? Like there's cards of grief. They don't mean getting that card in a reading doesn't mean you're having grief. It's like a memento mori. It's like, Hey, remember like stuff's going to happen. That's not good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So, so, um, and then the other thing that he's blocking is his feet. So, um, the feet are very important in tarot. They, they, they depict our relationship to the world. So standing versus sitting, um, standing is a more active, ready for action kind of position. Sitting is a more, is a more passive role. It's not positive or negative. There are times to act. There are times to sit by, sit down and just wait and see how things play out. Um, the hanged man, his feet are pointed up to God because he's the, the way that you can get out of stuck situations like being a hanged man is to just let God tell you what to do, basically, right? Yeah. So the feet being blocked by the pentacles is, again, it's like, it's, it's this, the things I know are all that I need to know. The things that I have are all that I need to have. The things that the, the relationships and, and um, resources I have are it. And I'm 
scared. I'm so scared of losing them that I'm not. I'm maybe disallowing myself from getting any others. Okay. Yeah. No, that makes sense to me. Yeah, it's, <laughs> okay. it's interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. you know, I found myself in that position from time to time. For sure, that card has resonated with me in the past. Yeah. Well, um, I appreciate it. Yeah, no, sure. I um, definitely enjoyed uh, the way that, you know, the way that you sent the book over last year. Yeah. And yeah. sort of, I, I'm, I had always wanted to, to ask you that question. I think it's best that I asked yeah. it uh, here live on a podcast. Sure, no, that was uh, fun, man. Yeah, yeah, and I think it gets us into the right... Um, mindset perhaps for, for the podcast and cool. uh, yeah, yeah i'll probably ask you more about tarot later too and how you got into it but okay yeah please um, do it i love yeah. i love talking that stuff so for sure but i guess before we let too much time pass we should get into the novel which again is house of sleep which uh you know listeners can buy on amazon and we'll definitely <laughs> link to it um cool. I guess, uh, I guess to comment on the style, uh, I, I finished the book yesterday. I found it to be, I, I, and when, uh, and as I said earlier, you've done a very good job kind of promoting this book. And there's a lot of interesting reviews from different corners of the internet. And I've seen a lot mm -hmm. of comparisons. You've cited everyone from Cormac McCarthy to William Burroughs. Uh, you know, pe a lot of people you've covered on Art of Darkness, honestly, yeah. Uh, yeah. as an influence. <laughs> and I do see little bits uh, of a lot of those people. Uh, one sort of buzzword that came up for me early on that I saw in some of the reviews, but that I don't think is totally accurate, but I'm going to say it anyway, <laughs> is the notion of magical realism. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, is not necessarily a, a genre I'm a huge fan of. I, I'm not either. Uh, yeah. I have sort of negative associations with stuff that's typically described as magical realism. So I've, I've seen that, that, that too. And I, people say that, and, and to me, um, that's fine. They usually mean it when they say it, they usually mean it as a compliment. So I, it's been my perspective. So I kind of take it as that, but to me, magical realism has a narrow definition and I, I don't think house of sleep personally i don't think yeah i i'm not necessarily <clears throat> excuse me conveying that either yeah i just uh, no, i see that yeah I appreciate, kind of, uh... I, I appreciate it it's a more thoughtful perspective yeah <laughs> kind of I, I don't know there's there's something that was kind of triggering me to think in those terms but also it's clearly not quite that and the way you describe yourself on line is a sci-fi writer that is psy dash fi yeah. <laughs> so i assume a portmanteau of psychological and science fiction no or mm -hmm. yeah, yeah 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 i would say sci you know and and part of that is is the these sort of etymological roots and associations of sci so sci psychology <clears throat> psychological psychedelic right uh psychic right? Right. all of those kind of come back to to soul essentially so well, that's certainly, I mean, that seems as good. That seems the best possible description then of, of your writing because mm -hmm. all those PSY concepts you just cited, psychedelia, right. psychology, and even the psychic dimension mm -hmm. um, are, you know, they loom, loom heavily both thematically um, in House of Sleep, but also in terms of the writing style. It's, it is psychedelic in parts. It is perhaps psychic in parts and it's definitely mm -hmm. psychological the way i would describe the overall style is uh and I, I think i've seen other people describe it thus so this may not be a totally original thought but um you basically write uh in a very sort of uh gritty form of realism where you know i can see a little bit of that sort of burroughs mm -hmm. influence um I, I don't know if um 
what's his name? Uh, why is it not coming to me? Not um, not Buchanan, but Bukowski. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know if he's like. There's a, there's an element of that, but then you're describing. It's it's like it's gritty realism, but describing really elaborate at times, even kind of floral, psychedelic, uh, psychic. Mm-hmm. You know, you're describing complicated psychic realities in a realistic and at times gritty way. I don't know. Does that mm-hmm. resonate? Yeah, yeah, definitely. <clears throat> and it, it sort of marries the the. I mean, the novel I wrote before this that basically ten people have read, and there's no way to get your hands on it unless you know me personally. Is was a very gritty, realistic, like borderline crime novel set in Detroit, right? Gotcha. So, so that and that's kind of where I <clears throat> cut my teeth on how to write a novel, um, and then you know have since aesthetically and, and sort of philosophically ex- and creatively expanded but but those those sentence by sentence style is still is still there i think yeah, yeah, yeah uh... equal parts gritty and dreamy is how uh, yeah. it struck me kind of like <laughs> yeah. a, a marriage of the two where it's, yeah, it's that's, very that's great. psychedelic very um you know it, it flows but then it flows into a gritty place yeah, yeah i like that back, <laughs> I would say. yeah that's great that's i mean that's what i'm going for that's that is what i was going for particularly with that piece so that's that's awesome yeah yeah definitely there's a there's a certain tension almost between the gritty and the um dreamy and um i think it's a very productive tension and, and very successful i mean i may ask you about that that other novel because i'd be <clears throat> interested in checking it out um yeah. but uh what um I like to ask guests this. I don't know if it's a little too basic or something, but I think it's helpful. What would be your elevator pitch of the book for someone who hasn't read it? Like, how would you, what's the log line, so to speak? Yeah, sure. I'm always bad at this, but I'll give it a crack. So it's House of Sleep is a, a psychodrama. Uh, I always say it's a piece of literary sci-fi first with the PSY. Uh, but uh, about a burgeoning cult in which the followers are... are um, uh, the followers of this charismatic guru are um, remembering their dreams as though they had happened yesterday. Um, they, this cult, which is up on this you know picturesque plateau above the city, is uh, draws two characters um, who do not know each other, um, but 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 sort of un, unbeknownst to them, share a secret. Um, one of them is is trying to find her um is trying to have one last experience with her fiance and the other is uh, um in search of his long lost brother um but the diving man the the charismatic guru figure has different plans for for all of them and maybe even us um right. and uh yeah so the book kind of follows those lines it's about grief language dreams religion heartbreak and i think finally transcendence of a sort yeah. Okay. That's a great, great, great elevator pitch. Yeah. And um, just to speak back on the, the, the kind of genre or style issue you're talking about, I mean, again, the, the magical realism thing, I guess, I think some people's minds would go there because there is a sort of magical dimension or at least esoteric dimension where you're writing about sort of, you know, esoteric notions about dreams and about, you know, sharing, sharing dreams and subjectivity and, you know, mm-hmm. these are basically occult topics, but mm-hmm. again, they're, they're explored with the, um, it's not that they're all, it's not that ha- the workings of everything in the novel is totally spelled out because it's not, it's very dreamy and surreal throughout, mm-hmm. but nevertheless, there's an attempt to 
ground every sort of fantastical element of the book in some version of psychological realism. And I think that's yeah. pretty yeah, unique. That's... I haven't really read any books that do that. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, the, that's the one thing is is I, I want in reading it, uh, I want people to go, wait, is that, can he really do that? Or does it seem like he can do yeah, that? Exactly. Can that really happen? Or is it, are you, are you convincing yourself that that's happening? Right. I'm, I was really trying to play that line as carefully as I could. Well, so. yeah, I know the, the, that line is played very well. It made for an interesting reading experience where like, I, I think, yeah, at first it was like, I, I wanted to know, like, is he really doing this or not? And at some point I just let go. It's like, it doesn't <laughs> really matter, you know, how, how capital R real this is mm -hmm. in the world of the book. The point mm -hmm. is that, this person believes it's happening. This person believes it's happening. And as we'll get into, and as I think maybe is a theme in the book and definitely is what I hope will be a theme in our conversation today, this kind of, whenever you're dealing, you know, you, you read my tarot card uh, five mm -hmm. minutes ago and it's like, yeah. is, is it real? Is it not real? <laughs> and then the other right. question is, does it matter? You know, right. it, it, believing that it's real or believing that it's, that it could be real or, um, sort of accepting it in some kind of way uh, into your life, accepting it into your narrative and, and you know, mm -hmm. being willing to kind of consume it into your narrative and allowing it to affect you. That, um, you know, it's basically whether or not, when it comes to some, and I, you know, when it comes to some of these type of topics, I feel like that's the operative question is, will you accept it? Will you allow it to influence your narrative? Does that resonate? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think part of the experience of my life and, and being a fairly observant person and uh, trying to think carefully. I mean, writing a novel forces you to think carefully and in ways that, you know, I think a lot of people maybe don't. Um, and that, that's not a demean condescension. It's, it's, that's just it, writing a novel requires a lot of cognitive work. And, yeah. and so I, I have come and living through the era that we're living through, you kind of, I at least came to the conclusion of like, of an you know an epist an epistemic crisis where it's like i i, I no longer am capable of knowing anything yeah. of actually knowing anything so how do you survive that psychically right like how right. do you live when you have to admit you don't actually know anything um so i kind of i don't know even know if the book on the surface deals with that but that's my sort of subtextual project as a writer is yeah. to figure out how you survive that well yeah i think it is present subtextually in the novel um just by virtue of what it's about which is mm -hmm. you know a, a a burgeoning cult as you say it's about new mm -hmm. age oh yeah thought basically even before lynn joins the diving man's cult she's you know mm -hmm. she's going through grief therapy and and you kind of it's actually definitely one of one of you know one of, one of the notable passages of the book for me is when you're describing all the things she tries from making kombucha mm. to sex toys and it's right. it's a very well rendered um little little section there yeah. and yeah she's basically listing off all of these sort of post 60s post new age things that one can do to try and cope so right. it, i say it's subtextual because you know the it's just the setting of the novel it's it's the air we breathe at this point the 60s were a mm -hmm. long time ago all these new age notions have um become very diffuse in the culture and they're they're part of the the cultural air that we right. breathe and in terms of the epistemic crisis well i think that whatever you can't really talk about new age stuff without thinking about that 
Uh, I, the, right. the sort of pop sociology, although I think it's probably true, is that people get more interested in occult and new age, or it wouldn't be new age because new age is a new concept, but we'll just right. say occult uh, mm-hmm. topics um, in times of crisis and chaos within society, within the notion of received reality mm-hmm. and i you know i think that in in the west perhaps in the whole world that's got, we've kind of been this epistemically and otherwise chaotic position um for decades so uh, i think that just by mere virtue of the themes alone uh that that becomes a theme in the novel and becomes a theme in 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 the work that you do brad in general uh it's also i would say uh, a theme in, in the work that that i'm that i do or that i'm beginning to do uh, we'll talk about this substack piece that i wrote later on some yeah. of these topics um but uh yeah just this notion of you know the, the, you have the epistemic the moment of epistemic like letting go like i i don't really know kind of thing i don't really have much right. to, to ground myself in um you know you can appeal to rationalism to a pretty significant degree but then it always feels like either a there's something else out there or b i really want there to be something else out there right. either way you're going to be looking beyond rationalism but then also and this is not uh you know th- th- we'll also talk about this perhaps later you know the tension between some of this new agey stuff and received tradition mm-hmm. it's a tension mm-hmm. that i hope will one day uh dissipate uh right. to productive end but uh but you know it's all, all my, my point in bringing this up is you know, even and I have a lot of respect for people who 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 are religious in a more traditional and traditionalist sense. However, it's not always that easy just to kind of appeal to tradition. Traditions are are hackneyed. Traditions are are weathered down. Um, some some frog Twitter types say that they are even cuckolded. We don't necessarily need to get too far into <laughs> right, that, but I right. see where they're coming from. You know, the, yeah, the a lot yeah. of these, you know, as good as uh, a lot of traditional religions are, even even some of the ones that try very hard to be traditionalist um, are very much inflected with modernity. And it's like, right? Well, well what well, is the value there? Uh, I'm going yeah, on a tangent I, here, but go on. No, that's okay. Yeah. This is fascinating. But I mean, part of, part of I think. What has come to my mind in recent years is like, okay, even the traditions, because I'm in this this crisis of what I'm able to know, you know, there are tradi- religious traditions, and I, I was raised Catholic, and I have a lot of respect mm-hmm. f- for that tradition. I, I wouldn't consider myself uh, any a, a kind of practicing Catholic at this point. Um, but I'm in the exact same boat. <laughs> okay, yeah, 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 and yeah. So what I've kind of realized is like, okay, so there's there's some great things to that tradition. Um, there's some great things to sort of, if you, we want to call it a tradition, the rationalist tradition, but then it gets turned around and used against us so often. I mean, we're in the era of scientism where we're just kind of told shut up and listen to the science, but yeah. it's like, it's a corrupted institution. So, so in what ways is my tendency to think, well, everything should be rational. <laughs> How is that being used against me? Right. And, and similarly, and, and this isn't even saying the Catholic church is being used against, was being used against me in some way, but like, how do I know if it is or not? How do I know that I'm not being um, I'm not being sort of dumbed down in some way so that I don't ask a certain set of questions or try to live my life in a certain yeah. way? It's very difficult to know what the what, it's very difficult to know whether you're you're buying into a a, a, a tradition or you're being psyoped, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. no no absolutely <laughs> yeah. Um, I and I mean with the Catholic I yeah I don't I don't want to just like spitball on this 
and say the wrong thing because again i do right. have a lot of respect for that tradition and in some ways in many ways it is and will always be the tradition that i sort of came out of or was first exposed yeah. to so i'm not this is just me talking off the cuff here uh, yeah. i'm not trying to offend anyone anyone but right, um right yeah i mean there there is uh that notion that again you see it with a lot of like um bronze age pervert frog twitter types where they they, they literally think uh, uh not not the entirety of the catholic church and um i think bap has a, a great respect for for traditionalist catholics but uh but that a lot of it is literally a psyop uh right. and and a, a globalist one or whatever which i i do not specifically subscribe to that but i can i, I, see I, I don't where... either but I'm, I'm skeptical of institutions exactly. generally yeah yeah, yeah yeah i think that's what right. i'm trying to get to. I, i'm not necessarily yeah. convinced that that the Catholic Church is a psyop, uh, but I can yeah. see why someone might worry about that. And mm -hmm. I think, yeah, it's that uh, I'd have to put this in, in more like razor sharp philosophical language to really get at the meaning. But it's something about that epistemic crisis where, um, yeah, it's like I it's not even so much that I personally, you know, Matt Pegas uh, distrust institutions. It's just that like I, I can't. Like right. somehow the authority does not feel itself to be there. And maybe I wish it did, but somehow some, somewhere down the line, I don't know, the, 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 the world got too big, the chain of network, something yeah. just didn't connect or something. I, I don't know. That's yeah, just my I'm in, kind of I'm emotional in, experience of it. Yeah. yeah. I'm in much the same boat. It's, it's, it's the kind of casting about looking for some sort of institution or some, something institution like that I can, put some put some faith in and being constantly disappointed and so left with left with a a uh just a kind of a general homeless homelessness politically religiously philosophically even yeah not yeah i think homelessness too, is the is the um, feeling yeah not to lead Go us on. too directly into matt's essay but mm -hmm. i think this um this inability to trust traditions as they currently exist because they're corrupted gives the opportunity to us to create new traditions and Precisely. through yeah. through art through aesthetics mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it's it's a really weird moment because we um, we have this opportunity and we have mm -hmm. this um, this burden even to uh, you know to tell the truth as we see it. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. And I mean, whatever we kind of come up with is going to be um, syncretic to some degree. It's probably going to have to be to some degree atomized and individualistic yeah. um, because everything is now we're all, you know, we're a subculture. We're we're nine billion or however many subcultures of one at this point. So yeah. um, it's difficult to sort of network with other people and have anything that's entirely co coherent and cohesive. But um it's always interesting, you know, it's always interesting. So, okay, so we were going to try to assemble some new kind of tradition for yourself. Um, it's interesting to, to think about what are, what are the aspects of other traditions or, you know, schools of thought that you can borrow and bring into that. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, no, definitely. Um, a couple things resonated with me in, the, in what you just said. I mean, one, I just wanted to say, again, I think, yeah, the sense of homelessness, whether spiritually, politically, perhaps literally, <laughs> or, or perhaps just, yeah, that, 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 not that yet, at least. sense of, yeah, hopefully not, literally, but you know, that sense of being atomized and being unmoored from mm -hmm. 
tradition and from one's sort of perhaps one's upbringing or one's yeah tradition history maybe not everyone's like that but i think a lot of us online are where we where mm. we, we end up feeling that that sense of alienation from our own you know because we, we're not we're not brought up in this like you know small town type society where everything you know, i think about this a lot and we talked about this uh dan and i talked about this a couple of weeks ago with uh caleb cadell who's another novelist uh, you know that you know traditional there's that kind of traditional setup where you're 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 brought up uh you know in, in a tighter knit community with mm-hmm. a with a received tradition and mm-hmm. you know one could lead their whole life as an operative part of of that community uh yeah. with that a lot of people tradition. have a lot of people have lived very satisfying lives that way i <laughs> there's a there's a part of me that wished i did have that Right. You know. uh, no, no, yeah. definitely for me. I, in yeah. some ways, I think that's like the most one of the most straightforward ways to be. But we just the economic reality um, and in the, the social reality of of modern America, of the modern West, of the modern world is that we are kind of, you know, we, we sort of enter into the system and we're spit out wherever we land, sort of. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm saying this as someone who was born on one coast and now lives on the other. So everything yeah. I'm saying is covered by my individual experience but i feel like yeah. a lot of us whether or not you know we 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 move away from where we grew up or not um a lot of us have some version of this experience where even if it's just the world changing before us there's this again this sense of being unmoored from from the familiar yeah. and I've, I've definitely had that experience so i'm i'm actually back near where i came from but i left for years years and years and now that I'm back here, I don't even, it's odd that I have family and friends here, but I sort of don't feel like I'm from here. It's a very, it's, uh, it's a little, it took me a couple of years to really even be able to sort of emotionally navigate it. It's very strange. Yeah, it's yeah. it's that sort of feeling. And again, even if it doesn't have to do with physical moving, it's, 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 it's the changing world. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just think that we come back to that, you know, epistemic homelessness uh perhaps mm-hmm. and you said that the nine you know nine nine billion subcultures of one i mean that's quite i don't think i'll call the episode that because of <laughs> things but that would be a good good name yeah. good i might have got the population name. number wrong but it's up there some, it's got to be at least like, eight. something like that yeah <laughs> but um, some of us are more than one so yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but within that so it's again to go back to like you know the the tr- received tradition versus kind of going off on your road and delving into esotericism or whatever the case might be uh i have not found my attempts to 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 to, to re i don't know if this is a word but you know unmore if unmore is a word i have not found my attempts to remore to to reroute myself to any particular tradition and i have sort of tried um i have not Mm -hmm. found them especially successful i'm kind of left back in this atomized uh -hmm. sort of doubtful place where i have you know i I struggle to um you know fully fully throw myself into you know any any one uh you know broader received tradition i I may take a lot of influence from it but i i find that again just epistemically Onto, I'm just yeah. dropping fucking philosophical words here, but you know, we are sort <laughs> yeah, I of follow. existentially yeah. atomized. And within that, um, you know, not that there aren't pitfalls, and I think there are, and I talk about that in my, my essay, but within that, I think delving into 
a personal mysticism and esotericism is one of the most vital uh, paths sort of available to us is what I've found. I, I would, yeah, I, I agree with that a hundred percent. And I, I think, I think for multiple reasons, I mean, it, it's, um, I mean, when you're talking about, okay, so you're living through some kind of crisis that is, you know, both inside your head, but also in, in the world for all, uh, at all, to all appearances, um, you've got to be able to, to, you know, hold on to the deck of the ship through the storm. And, and I think part of the way that one is able to do that is through, um, is through allowing that there are at least holes in your rationality, that you're a limited being and you don't know everything and you can't know everything. And, and, um, nobody has explained it all. Um, and trying to get comfortable with that to some degree, that negative capability, that that notion that like, all right, well, I don't know everything, I can't know everything, and I still have to, I have to n not allow that to make me insane, basically. Yeah, you have to <laughs> embrace and put this in my essay, you know, I have to embrace mm -hmm. and affirm the, the mess of everything, and mm -hmm. then also the mystery. I think that's mm -hmm. kind of the key. Mm -hmm first step shall we say yeah uh, and totally i do just agree. want to convey also I, I i'm not necessarily opposed like i i may or may not i, I don't know like i'm not opposed to to maybe being involved in organized religion again uh it's just mm -hmm. the moment of my life right now uh is, is one of a, a more individualistic uh esoteric exploration i suppose but i but i say that not just as a disclaimer but also because and this is another big part uh, of the essay I wrote, which I guess we are, we are, we are at this point talking about it, which is yeah, fine. That's cool. uh, it's yeah. called the, the, the Renaissance of the Ritual. I think probably some of our listeners have read it. I will link it. It's great. It's great, man. I just before we get into it anymore, just want to tell you, it's a, it's a, it's a significant piece of work. You should be very proud of it. Oh, well, thank I've you. Shared um, it, I've shared it with some people. And, and oh, yeah, I love it. I, I appreciate yeah. that. It's yeah. not Absolutely. exactly taking the internet by storm, uh, <laughs> but yeah. I don't, hey. But it's like it's one of those, and I think this is a sign of something that you're like really meant to write, uh, fiction mm -hmm. or nonfiction. Uh, I kind of just started putting this idea, the idea for this together around Christmas time last year, and I was I was actually originally going to submit a essay to Passage Prize within oh, okay. the thousand word limit, and then I, I quickly was like, and this was like Christmas, so it was like a week before the deadline, and I was like, a, I'm not going to finish this. B uh it's gonna be way 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 longer thousand and, words is tough yeah yeah. Thousand, yeah i mean there probably is a decent a thousand word version of this that i could have written and maybe it would have done well but like at the end of the day i was like no this isn't about passage prize this is right. something i need to get out of me and it really just uh flowed out of me and i i knew you know it's it's these these are pretty niche topics like i um you know, I I, I kind of realized that maybe not a ton of people would end up reading it, but I didn't care because I, right. I, I the, the experience of writing it was so edifying for me. And, uh, you know, I'm normally modest, but I, I agree. I think it is a pretty significant thing that I've written. I don't think it's like the be all end all on these topics, but I think from my angle with my unique set of experiences and, and you know, my you know somewhat involvement with the you know there's, i engage with a lot of like frog twitter type people mm -hmm. in in the essay and uh and you know i just have a kind of cursory little bit of esoteric experience and um it's kind of just a personal 
encapsulation of, of that. So it's, you know, it's particular to me. I'm not saying it's like a, the grand theory of everything, but, um, but I do think it's a very honestly and well-expressed uh, understanding uh, on my part of, again, this sort of epistemic spiritual moment of crisis and, and how I am dealing with it. And I think in that regard, like, yeah, I do think it's one of the more significant things I've written and perhaps in time could find a larger audience. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think the, you know, in the latter portion of it, you delve into a particular practice and whether or not that's going to be the right practice for somebody else, uh, it's hard to say, but um, I think the notion that, it's it's actually picking things up out of the intellectual sphere and and okay now i'm going to try to do something and see see what happens that's uh that's that's part of what's missing to some degree from the sort of the very uh, and i would count myself as one of them the sort of the very online mm-hmm. community yeah is, yeah i'm not clear that we're doing anything sometimes <laughs> I hear you yeah yeah <laughs> like i i encounter plenty of people who are much much smarter than me and and then at but and say very insightful things and 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 maybe they're doing incredible things in their in their lives but it's it's sometimes feels like are we just navel gazing did we all just learn a lot of big words um or are we we turning this into something that you know we can we can use to to make our lives better and people around us better to get closer to you know god or fill in the blank and 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 you know, yeah, actually yeah. Accomplish something. No, I mean it's yeah. a recurring. It's not even just an online thing. It's also you could say it's a, it's a, it's an issue for the academic community too. And, yeah. And what is yeah. the online community? But but you know yeah. a, a sort of dissident academic community with better memes. You know. Right. Right. Um, right. right. And I, it's a recurring it's a recurring uh, issue. Um, and but yeah, and I it did feel exciting when I was writing the Renaissance the Ritual piece that I was like, yes, I am, and not just writing, but also doing the things I talk about in mm-hmm. it um that like no it's it's taking these intellectual ideas and and living with them you know to the full extent um i don't know how if this is gonna reflect super well on me or some people might find this unbelievably cringe to even get into this but i mean one per- and this is evident in the essay that one person not that i subscribe to everything he's ever said but one right. online figure who's influenced me a lot is bap you know bronze age pervert mm-hmm. and it's interesting because i i read his book when it came out in 20 20- 18 i thought it was Whoa. great uh you know i loved it i you know I, I followed that for a while but it was only kind of during the pandemic and look i'm not uh, i don't like post my physique i'm not like um a bot i'm not like a huge guy or anything post but like physique. it was only during the pandemic <laughs> <laughs> that i that i actually like started like lifting weights and actually like mm-hmm. doing some of the stuff that those guys talk about and mm-hmm. um bap in particular who's very holistic in his message about diet and working out and you know he he has his own i mean i think he's a he's more of an esotericist than people even realize uh you know he has he has kind of a holistic vision uh of human life that one can really apply to their life in like a super pragmatic way and i know it sounds Mm -hmm. a little bit again i'm gonna give this caveat i'm not i'm not saying i'm like the like the, the bap meme chad guy i'm not but getting you know looking past the sort of goofiness of some of that and actually thinking about these things that people like bap that people like mike ma uh, and, you know others uh talk about as a a really pragmatic thing to apply to your own life um has been um you know extremely extremely beneficial to me and i think that's a lot of what the the renaissance piece is is about it's it's, it's about more than just bap it, it gets into yeah. some more 
squarely a, a culty kind of space. Sure. But it's it's the combination of um, of BAP and and just other people. I was reading Ma uh, Thomas Ligotti, not not a Frog Twitter guy, but another yeah. person I've been reading. <laughs> yeah. uh, he might have been if he might have been if he was twenty years younger. Yeah, or I, I would yeah. think maybe he has done work with uh, that guy from Current ninety three, David Tibet. So he's not oh, okay. entirely outside of our broader universe but um yeah. well it's interesting the, the 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 lifting weights thing is interesting to me so i i hit the weights pretty hard personally uh i'm not a post physique guy either but i've been doing it for a long time and and uh not at my best now due, due to some recent injuries but but uh, honestly lifting consistently or just having vigorous exercise consistently is actually a magical act so yes that's what i've learned yeah yes. so alistair crowley calls magic the science and art of causing change uh to occur in conformity with will right so literally transforming your body through an act of will and so not only is it a magic practice in itself but it, it carries metaphorical correspondences to all kinds of other things right you you train your mind so that when you say you're going to do something you do it which mm -hmm. is un sounds stupid it sounds like a very like well, yeah you should just do what you say you're going to do but most of us don't most do of that. us don't yeah we, we say we're going to do something and we kind of you know halfway do it or we forget about it but you know if you go on a six-week program to work out five days a week and then you actually do it you have opened up a new a new like mental power basically right also, and it's actually like it's a ritual it is something it is. that you if you've been doing it for a while if you've been like i've been lifting on and off since i was 15 and mm -hmm. so i'll be doing routines and it you know it awakens it calls back to an earlier time in your life and Absolutely. it's it's a yeah. through line it's like i remember bench pressing when i was 17 and mm -hmm. well, I'm not still doing it because of injuries, but I am doing other uh, other exercises. Sure. Yeah, but yeah, no, it calls back to the times you've done it before in your life. It it's also alters your consciousness too, right? While you're doing it, right? So it enters you into a a a, a more embodied, less less frontal lobe mind space, right? Which I think is good to do. Yeah, yeah, and that's just the the ritual yeah. element is important too because it's uh, you know this is even just like the five highly effective habits of highly effective people or whatever territory. Right. But like some of this stuff, even if it sounds like that, and I talk about this in the piece, even if it just sounds like that, like don't underestimate the power of, of some of that basic self help shit mm -hmm. because yeah, mm -hmm. the, the notion of the ritual, which you know ritual habit, you know these are similar, these are related concepts. Yeah. Um, you know if you can ritualize it uh you know there's a greater chance you're going to keep doing it it's a way of bringing nice. order to chaos which is you know very operative in all of this yeah. talk of, and and yeah. when you when you turn it into a ritual i think this does an important thing for you sort of mentally when it becomes a ritual you can stop intellectualizing it and asking asking these subtle sort of self-defeating questions about why you're doing it right you can kind of get past that why question and just occupy the ritual like yes do you need to squat twice your body weight nobody really needs to right but <laughs> but if you can just enact the, and not that i can do that much but if you could just enact the ritual of of going towards it all of the all of the other um difficult to describe gains and benefits will come along with them and 
partially because you just gave up to the ritual and let the right. ritual. It's yeah. uh, I think a lot of this could be described and this one sounds somewhat negative, but uh, I don't think it's negative. I think it's how you do anything in life. Uh, it's a, it's a form of self hypnosis almost mm -hmm. you're, mm -hmm. you're um, especially for, you know, people like me and I imagine people like you, smarter people, mm -hmm. analytic type people, uh, neurotic people, perhaps in my case, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's so easy to get caught up in uh, in all the questions and and the you know the questions of why would I do this? What should I do? I mean, that's been my experience of life, especially since being a teenager, is you know caught up in all of those questions and they're just so self defeating. But you have to find your way to, to sort of hypnotize yourself into a rhythm to not be mm -hmm. thinking about that. I think that is yeah. what one must do, um, and it's definitely sort of been. Um, my experience with this, I was going to say something yeah. else, but yeah, yeah, no, I, I definitely, I definitely agree with that. I, you know, that's the thing is like, there's stuff that I do that I would fits under the definition of magic, but I don't even like think of it in those terms. So the, um, hermetic order of the golden dawn, there's a book out there about how you can self-initiate into the hermetic order of the golden dawn. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this sounds like real woo woo and real weird. And like, Oh, that's, I mean, if you're into the cult aesthetics, it sounds, it's really cool. Okay. So then you pop it open in the first week of self-initiation into the hermetic order of the golden dawn is every day you go for a 10, five to 10 minute walk and you basically log mentally as many details that you're seeing as you possibly can without judging them. So you'll walk along, you'll be like, um, uh, Oh, there's a pot bottle on the ground. There's three cracks in the sidewalk. There's a squirrel. There's a chipmunk. There's a, there's a tree. There's a car that the car is a Chevy Malibu. It's got four wheels. It's like, you just, it, you try as hard as you can to keep up and you don't judge any of it. You never say, well, that's a, you know, that's an ugly thing or that's whatever. You're just logging details. And if you do that for five or 10 minutes, you will feel slightly insane because it's a lot to do. You're just overloading your brain. Um, but you'll notice, and I, if you continue doing it, you'll notice a slight uptick in your ability to pay attention and more than to, to pay attention, but to notice. Absolutely. And, yeah. And it's, that's that's like a this is how you initiate yourself into this magic order and then then they have steps beyond that but that's the first step you just do that for a while and is that magic i i don't know but it's an interesting process and i think you're better off having done it so yeah. i do a mindfulness meditation practice every morning mm -hmm. and okay. um so that i mean i i just focus on my breathing and i try to turn mm -hmm. my brain off and just feel my breathing and by the end of five minutes, I'm in, you know, a different place. I'm actually kind of almost lucid dreaming. I'm just like mm -hmm. having thoughts and stuff that, that I'm not judging, that I'm not like interjecting my own framing onto. And so like, mm -hmm. I don't really do it through like noticing things and walking around. But I think mm -hmm. that aspect of removing your ego, removing your, um, the, the narrative, the, the storyteller in your mind that is like that is a very powerful thing if you can do it absolutely and it's yeah, hard absolutely. it's like it's really because you like you always you want to you know that storyteller in your mind keeps coming back and back and it's like well no i know what what this is about and i'm going to tell you right <laughs> yeah i'm going to keep making yeah. sense of it i'm going to keep making sense of it making sense of it and it's like well no hold on hold on <laughs> yeah 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 no uh yeah i meditation is something that i that i wish 
I did more. But I mean, that's kind of what what you said. It's kind of part of the conclusion I come to at the end of that Substack is like I when I first or not not first because it kind of has been an undulating thing throughout my life. But my most recent getting interested in occult topics, you know, I was very willing to sort of go in and be like, okay, we're gonna do some, uh, you know. Crowleyan will, you know, manifest mm-hmm. manifesting stuff. Like I'm ready, ready for some specific outcome, like manifestation. But sort of by the end of delving into that, I, I found the the stuff that I was practicing looked a lot more like uh, meditation, uh, mm-hmm. yoga, even mm-hmm. uh, or you know, literally doing some yoga stuff, but also like just even that kind of what we're talking about with like weightlifting, like kind of approaching that like yoga, like these are movements I'm doing to, you know, almost be closer to God or something, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, looking at everything that way. Uh, yeah. By the end I found, I, I was much more, it, it was, it's, it's, it's less that I got interested in like capital, like uh, things that would obviously be considered quote unquote magical, but more that it sort of reinvigorated the way that I approached what would be considered by most um, to be pretty standard spiritual practices, prayer, even just like, you know, you know, considering one's own desires and, um, and sort of seating even to a higher authority, perhaps, you know, seating, seating to a higher power and, um, you know, even, even sort of meditative practices. Uh, yeah, basically the stuff that I ended up settling upon that I still practice in my life, um, I, you know, I, I have my own esoteric sense about them, but I, a lot of them, I don't think divulge significantly from what would be considered fairly vanilla spiritual practice, albeit maybe with a little bit of an Eastern flavor from the Western okay. perspective, yeah. but still. Yeah. 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 Um, hmm. but yeah, no, uh, I think I, we kind of sort of ended up just getting right into, to the essay. We can, we'll definitely cool. go back to house of great. sleep. Yeah. Uh, before before the end of the conversation, but um, yeah. yeah, part of part of how we got here, I think, is um, I was just gonna again sort of reiterate the degree to which this that we've talked about, which again in, in the context of the essay I wrote, in the context of the conversation we're having, I think it's it's not so much that I love that we're all atomized and have to kind of <laughs> go at go at this from this individualistic place and, and go at it from this sort of will-focused place where it's all about, like, our will and whatnot. I, I don't know if that's, like, the best social situation, but it is the one that we are in. And I do right. just find that considering things from a, a standpoint of, like, individualistic spirituality has a power that currently, for maybe not for all of us, you know, if people are at home in their church communities, that's mm-hmm. that's great. I envy that, perhaps. But, um... It has a certain power that some that a lot of us I don't think can really access elsewhere, uh, and sort of delving into this stuff on an individualistic basis, you know, as Dan mentioned earlier and as part of the piece, it's you know it could be the start of a new tradition, or mm-hmm. or even it could be a step that one could bring back to an old tradition. Um, right. right. I think there's either, but but also I just I don't think it's totally, you know, historically and and perhaps for for good reason. Uh, occult stuff has been very, very much at odds with received tradition, you know, yeah. to the point of, um, you know, persecution and, and whatnot and, and war. <laughs> right. Well, maybe not specific wars, but, you know, it's 
there's there's a violence it's, it's a contentious relationship to the point of violence uh but oh well, yeah that's why it has to be hidden so often right <laughs> yeah right yeah. right um, they're danger they're they can be danger you, you can end up with in the space of some dangerous ideas potentially absolutely and i think that's yeah. true again i think there are certain pitfalls to some of this uh but yeah by by their very definition they're they're sort of hidden uh ideas but the point i'm trying to dancing around here is that i think that in this day and age there could be a productive you know um collaboration between the two spheres Absolutely. and i think Absolutely. that happens kind of on our sphere of the internet to to mm -hmm. a large extent mm -hmm. where you have everyone from traditional catholics to uh sort of nietzschean <laughs> philosophical types to people like us and like others mm -hmm. who you know, pretty outright deal in occult type ideas. Um, yeah, I think I think there is a, a product, you know, there is there is a lot of potential there for uh, for some kind of cross pollination. And um, yeah. yeah, not not to ask too personal a question. We don't have to put this in sure. if it no. leads to a ask weird away. answer. But, you know, Kevin, your uh, co-host is mm -hmm. he, he is a practicing Catholic, right? He is. Yeah, I yeah. think um, I don't want to totally speak for him, but I think he grew up Catholic and then has um, fair relatively recently in his life found his way back to it. Yeah, yeah. no, and I think that's fantastic, too. But even just the mere fact that, you know, you who are very openly interested in esoteric stuff mm -hmm. and Kevin, who, you know, maybe he is somewhat more recent, but he, you know, he is a Catholic, yeah. you know, it's uh, mm -hmm. you, and you have this podcast together. Like, I, it's like it's that kind of thing. It's like there's no reason for us to be, you know, at odds. So to speak. Yeah. 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 Well, and it's, I mean, you, you look for, for Kevin and I are an interesting pair. I mean, I, I love that dude to death and, and uh, we see eye to eye on a lot of stuff that I don't see. I, I don't feel like I see eye to eye with many people on. And then we have some key divergences, you know, there's some things that are like, ah, yeah, nope. <laughs> and, and we both kind of say that to each other. And that's, 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 that's cool. That's, that's part of, uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna survive a atomized epistemic crisis, right. um, you can't. You gotta like know who your friends are and and let them be themselves, so they can so they'll let you be yourself. You know. Yeah. No. Definitely. And I think a lot of people, the, the best people, understand that. You know, the, mm -hmm. the the worst people online are the people who want to gatekeep and and constantly. Yeah. But Agreed. but uh, the best people from across the spectrum, I think understand that on some some deep level that there's a yeah. sort of aesthetic unity to what a lot of us are doing that kind of precedes everything um Absolutely. which as dan mentioned you know that I, I i kind of cut my teeth early as a blogger it's kind of cringe to remember now but i had a <laughs> blog called alt of center right? <laughs> oh, okay. i had some notion of like alt center whatever alt center yeah yeah <laughs> uh this is like 2018 fair uh but one of the, my big ideas or one big idea that I had gotten else from elsewhere that I then presented <laughs> was the, the notion of like a politics uh, of aesthetics mm -hmm. uh, and, and kind of basing one's politics in, in aesthetics. Um, and I do think there's something to that uh, with this notion of like creating new traditions, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes somehow the aesthetic wavelength, which is perhaps also a spiritual wavelength, mm -hmm. uh, I think is more important um, than, than, than the intellectual wavelength sometimes. Yeah, I know. I, they, they, they're difficult to uh, disambiguate from each other. I mean, uh, you know, 
why did I get sort of interested in the cult stuff at some point? Honestly, it was it probably started as aesthetics. Right. I probably started at looking at cool old wood carvings and like weird old drawings and, you know, sketches out of Jakob Bowman and, uh, you know, just this stuff looks cool. Yeah. <laughs> okay. No, me too. Okay. I mean, so then yeah. it allows you to go to the next. Okay. Well, what is it actually? Who are these people? What, what is it? What is it? And then in um, some point you come across like that is actually a piece of wisdom that I found. But I, it all started because, you know, some, uh, some interesting image that you saw or or you know crazy looking book the title of some book was very odd and just piqued your interest almost every successful spiritual or political movement has good aesthetics that's that's 100 percent true it's not a coincidence you need you need it to draw people in yeah, I mean, yeah. It, yeah. except maybe like Martin Luther's Protestantism, <laughs> right, <laughs> but, right, right. but that's an aesthetic yeah. even of its own. Yeah, yeah. I remember the, uh, Terrence McKenna said something along the lines of like, "I have no idea what the truth is, but it will not be cheesy." Yeah, no, that's a good, <laughs> good quote. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I was get, we kind of, I think we covered this territory a little bit, but I was going to ask sort of how you got interested in what do you want to call it? Esoteric occult, new age topics. Cause yeah. I, I listened to, and I listened to, I don't think I listened to the whole thing because I was trying to do as just as much research for this podcast as possible. Oh, I appreciate but that. I heard, um, part of your interview with Aaron Gwynn where you, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think this is doxable. You have a background in engineering, right? I do. Yeah. So, yeah. I do. Oh, wow. yep. yeah. You're very enmeshed in this sort of rationalism at all. And you kind of hit a point where, you wanted something more than that? Yeah. 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 I would say, um, you know, went to college and, and just wanted to be, um, financially independent as rapidly as possible. And so that meant, yeah, so that meant, that meant pursuing engineering, which, um, I, I'm not, my brain isn't, I know a lot of engineers now and my brain isn't quite wired like an engineer's. Um, though I can do a lot of the work, um, uh, but was always right. I mean, I started writing and reading and writing very young. Um, and so was always kind of in that space, moved, went, went to the other, moved to the other side of the country and, and got an English degree after my engineering degree, just mm. sort of part-time, um, while I was working full-time and then parlayed that into an MFA. So, oh. um, yeah, so I, I was an engineer and then I wasn't for years. I stepped away from it entirely for six or seven years. Um, and then and then I had to, you know, had to kind of find my way back to it um, for for uh, the demands of the demands of living in, you know, in the current era um, and having yeah. to make a living. Well, dude, so, I'm kind of envious. It sounds like, you you know, you have both great sort of literary life and a <laughs> decently. Yeah you know, marketable skills, which, uh, that's kind of a holy grail, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, it's certainly more, I'm certainly more interested, you know, in, in the writing and the reading and would spend more time in that space if, if I could and will spend as much time as I can probably for the rest of my life. Um, you know, and then making some transitions, uh, that are happening now that are going to allow me to do that, uh, more, spend more time writing and, 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 and researching for art of darkness and, and, uh, making some things happen in that regard. But, um, to, in terms of coming into, um, sort of occult stuff, it's, it's, it comes right along with, with writing. I mean, I sort of secretly believe that all writers, 
um, eventually, whether they know it or not, become some kind of hermeticists. Um, and yeah, for for me, it's it's because you have to synthesize a lot of different ideas. It's you have to synthesize a lot of. There's a craft element to it, obviously, but you have to think. You have to be able to have at least some degree of in, psychological insight. Um, um, you know, you have to have some degree of scientific perspective. Pers- I can never say that word. Uh, scientific- yeah. yeah, there yeah. you go. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> and uh, and a linguistic facility, obviously. <laughs> um, but but you have to be able to you have to be able to kind of put these things together, and and that ends up leading one directly to to something like occultism, um, just because. The, so the hermetic the hermetic. Yeah hermeticism is difficult to define but my favorite definition of it is taking knowledge um turning knowledge into wisdom in the alchemical furnace of the heart right yeah yeah yeah. alchemy being a a pretty operative part of hermeticism yeah right right and so i think that's for me that's what writing has been part of is like i have a lot of crazy thoughts all over the place and how do how do i make them so it's a project and i'm not just flailing (laughs) everywhere well i have to i'm gonna write a novel and it's gonna allow me to indulge in learning about this thing and doing this practice and talking to that person and 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 ultimately it's all it's all directed at putting this uh, putting a book together yeah it's like a psychological chemistry or alchemy mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, there's yeah. A, i mean there's also i should add this it doesn't go for all literature but it definitely ties into the theme of your podcast art of darkness mm-hmm. there's that element of um sort of turning turning darkness turning black bile into gold or, yeah yeah you know the philosopher's stone yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah for, for sure i mean part of the, the art of darkness has a um a long origin story in a lot of ways um, Kevin and I were in graduate school together and, um, you know, had a lot of time hanging out and, and it was very exciting because we were, we were at the, um, the Michener Center, which allowed us to basically just take classes and write for three years. Yeah. Um, and, you know, had a lot of conversations about whether artistic practice even belongs in the academy at all. Um, cause there was a sense in which we're feeling like we're getting, we're getting funneled, we're getting processed down and, and could some of these artists that we love survive this artistically yeah. or would it grind them into cubes? Um, and, and, and the one hand, and, and, and this makes me sound like I'm skeptical of the whole process. It, it was a wonder, it was an amazing experience for me to go there, but, but it did raise questions about how do I maintain, how, how am I going to do, can I still do something original and profound if I'm funneling myself through this process or not? Mm. Um, and yeah. we, so Art of Darkness, the show partially comes out of us sort of having those conversations and going well well all these artists that we know and love are kind are are insane or they're or they've got this problem or that problem or life tried to destroy them or they did it tried to destroy life like and they weren't they didn't have nice resumes they weren't type a people yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) right right this is for both of you kind of but and it leads into you know the the project the aim of art of darkness but to what extent Mm, do we think that um art artistry creativity and darkness mental illness you know various neuroticisms 
to what extent are they hand in hand? Are they inextricable from each other? To what extent does one fuel the other? I think in some ways that relationship of the crazy artist and the, and you know, the artist and their craziness is sort of a stereotype. Um, and, and there are certainly exemplars of totally insane artists and totally sane artists. But yeah. I think, I think it does require the act in and of itself is slightly delusional um you know i'm reading the biography of john berryman right now and john berryman is um a extremely talented or was an extremely talented poet but there's a phase when he's in his 20s where he's just a raging alcoholic uh, on the verge of death from not taking care of himself and he's at the same time basically saying like why am i not winning any awards like, what right this is it's like this is this delusion of grandeur and that delusion is actually necessary for him to bother writing the poetry. Yeah. Right? So there is there is something because for me anyway, I had to be had I needed I needed something to push against the 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 nihilism of like there's no point in doing this. And that that what I what I have used and it's not so much as before maybe, but what I have used is delusions. <laughs> right. I will write this book and people will like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Right. It's kind of what, and I have no reason to think that. Why? Why would that be the case? Right? Yeah. So, so the in that in in and of itself, and then you call this, and then maybe it does do well. John Berryman did eventually win all kinds of awards, and then what does that do to you? You you convinced you talked yourself into this delusional state that you or had something should come your way, and then it does come your way. It's a very it's a very crazy making kind of scenario. Yeah, it gets into that. So, some of the sort of esoteric topic we were on earlier about like, mm -hmm. does it matter? You know, is if mm -hmm. if you if if you manifest the manifest things by kind of hypnotizing yourself into thinking they can happen, and then they do mm -hmm. because you hypnotize yourself. Um, you know, does that make it any less real? It's that right. sort of dynamic um, right. where you you kind of do have to be delusional, and you have to be willing to just envision. Um, what you want and mm -hmm. not get caught up in the neurosis. Well, it's not always neurosis. Sometimes it's probably realistic, but that mm -hmm. you can't get bogged down by the question of, Oh, what if this doesn't happen? Or, Oh, this right. probably isn't going to happen. Or, Oh, no one's right. going to give a shit about this. Right. You have yeah, to self-defeating. It's yeah. kind of like in your, in your book. Um, not that I, not that I think that you would um, hold up the diving man's advice as uh, <laughs> as always being good, but he he talks to Lynn about sort of um, there's an image of like hooking your grappling hook to a to a mm -hmm. helicopter or something. It's like you have yeah. to be willing to, mm -hmm. uh, to to reach for the sky and mm -hmm. and you know allow it to take you in this abstract way. Right. Um, or, or even in, and, and I, I do want to get back to House of Sleep and specifically ask about the diving man in a minute. So, you know, yeah. even when he, um, the, the diving man is both, uh, literally and figuratively a, a diving man where he, mm -hmm. uh, we'll get into the figured aspect in a minute, perhaps, but literally he, he dives into water and holds his breath for, for as long as possible. And, mm -hmm. uh, he kind of says at one point, it's like, if you believe that you can hold your breath, you can do it for longer and longer and longer. So it's that kind right. of image. Right, um, right. 
I'll, I'll ask more about the diving man in a second, but to finish the okay. thought about uh, Dan's question about um, sort of neurotic darkness and the arts, I, I yeah, I basically agree with what you said, Brad, and I think that, you know, there, there is, people kind of over-romanticize, like, oh, being a depressed artist or a bipolar mm-hmm. artist. I think it's, I'm kind of from the school of thought where it's less like, oh, uh, depression and neurosis make good art and more like they mm-hmm. just happen to go along with yeah. that same uh, creative uh, there's there's because there's plenty there's plenty of depressed people who don't make anything right right yeah I do think yeah yeah I think they they, they end up being one in the same I and meta uh, an, an extra thing on this question an added thought I have is is so in part to make a piece of art you have to be temperamentally open to a certain extent Mm -hmm. right and um i think that i don't have any simpler way to say this and so it may sound crazy but the more you open up the less control you have of what gets in and that means for lack of a better word you might let in some demons yes Mm -hmm. so um that's i you know, you can get down into the neurochemical explanations for this, but it doesn't it doesn't make any more sense to me than this idea that, like, you're kind of laying yourself open to let things come in. And some of that stuff is going to be good. And some of that stuff is not going to be good. And um, that, you know, that stuff can can take you down and or you can make art out of it. You know, yeah, right. it's, it's yeah, it's psychically dangerous. Yeah. So. Maybe, yeah. So so more <clears throat> correlation than causation in terms of those mm-hmm. demons and art. Mm-hmm. Though that mm-hmm. being said, to get back to the hermeticism of it all and the mm-hmm. alchemy of it all, I do think mm-hmm. people sort of alchemize their darkness. Mm-hmm. So in that yeah. sense, maybe they're, I'm not, you know, no one wants yeah. to be depressed. No one wants right. to be crazy, but you know, you can also, you know, I think turn, turn that black bile into gold. Yeah. When, uh, and certainly sure. being depressed gives you some psychological insights. If you think about like, if you th- are paying attention to your own depression or your own anxiety or your own happiness or your own whatever it is you know you know if you get an exquisite pristine intense emotional state no matter what it is and you pay attention to it that is stuff you can spin into gold for sure there's that line from fitzgerald i believe describing gatsby saying he had a heightened sensitivity to the possibilities of life Mm. and that always I always carry that with me as a description of the artistic temperament. Yes. Yeah. And it's it's absolutely true mm-hmm. that, um, yeah, if you have that heightened, and it sounds like, you know, I'm describing a, a wimp or whatever, yeah. but if you have that heightened sensitivity, you, you need that to make good art. Mm-hmm. Because if you're kind of insensitive to life, you might be better at being a businessman right. or a lawyer or what have you, mm-hmm. but you will not be a good artist. I agree. Yeah. You need you need to be sensitive. But if you are sensitive, well, you're going to be sensitive to all manner right. of things. Right. Yeah. And that will not you may not be a good businessman. You may not be, you know, um, even, you know, I, I would hate to think so, but in some respects a good um, partner or friend. Right. I yeah. yeah yeah or you could be a better one yeah it, it depends on how you use it right right yeah no i don't want to delve too far into this but like you hear about and i think this is sort of what happened to david foster wallace unfortunately <laughs> uh you know you hear about people who are depressed and then they take ssris yeah. and it makes them much more able to function in life but they they can't really right 
create in the way they used right, to. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's uh, that's always a sc- somewhat that's, tragic. That's the scary. Thing. That is the scary thing about those those medicate that medication. Right. I've known a few people who, um, you know, were artists of one kind or another and, and spent spent some time on on whatever it was medication and said, yeah, I can't I can't really get to the place I used to be able to get to creatively. It's not accessible yeah, anymore. Yeah. yeah. So maybe this is TMI, but I have tried SSRIs mm-hmm. for a matter of, you know, weeks, mm-hmm. maybe a month. And I found exactly that, yeah, yeah, quieted whatever neuroses, whatever demons. I was, you know, much more effective at my job and, yeah. you know, probably much more even keeled. Couldn't write, right. couldn't write at all, right? And so I stopped it. I'm like, I'm, I can't, I'm not going to do this. Yeah, I, I can't yeah. do this. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's um, <laughs> it's very, in my experience, it's very true. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Arguably the most interesting character in House of Sleep, and I think the one that you've said, Brad, is your favorite character or was your favorite mm-hmm. character to write is the diving man. Yeah. This sort of uh, he's described somewhere as like you know little bit of timothy leary a little bit of judge holden from blood meridian Willy wonka sort of like even a little bit of a surfer bro mm-hmm. aspect mm-hmm. Uh, kind of a, a lot of things but he's this cult leader or would-be cult mm-hmm. leader um at the center uh, of house of sleep and at the center of the retreat house the house the titular house yeah, of sleep, yeah. uh in the book um do you want to talk a little bit about him and i'm gonna ask this without giving too many spoilers i thought maybe maybe a question to spur some interesting details about the plot is you know what what is the uh diving man what is he up to yeah and also um you can also just talk about your experience of of writing him because i gather sure yeah yeah um what is he up to i is an interesting question i think he thinks he's saving the world um in a not in a uh not in the realm of of pentacles but on this and on the spiritual plane he is somehow involved in saving humanity um whether he is or not is is a different mm-hmm. question and and because he thinks that he is saving humanity he um is willing to do things that on other planes of reality may not uh be very commendable so it's a means to the end any means are are okay to get to his end um whether his end is is you know a valid one is 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 a different question i think um uh but but you know that these are the he kind of that aspect comes out of the thing where i think even the great villains of history don't think of themselves as villains they have gotten themselves into a position um, where they, mo- for the most part, where they think what they are doing is actually the right thing to be doing. Um, and, you know, and then right. historically we look back and we're like, oh, that guy was a monster. <laughs> um, uh, because we don't v. agree with his... Adrian V. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, that's, that's you know, that's... And, and I'm sure there's some exceptions. I'm sure there's some killers out there or whatever who are like, yeah, I am doing evil things. Um, but but for, the, for the most part, for the most part, everybody, you know, everybody thinks that they're they're living by their values. So so he's 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 doing that now. He's what is how how is he doing that by he's uh, he's a guy who um, what's the what's the Twitter phrase? I'm looking to put together a team. 
<laughs> yeah. So he's trying to he's trying to bring in people into his circle that he thinks will help him in this in this battle for you know the soul of humanity. Um, uh, he's you know he is I, I think you know things you sort of added to the description I think are true. There is a bit of a surfer bro element to him. He he often speaks in the vernacular of of the new age. Um, certainly from the surface, um, part of the appeal that gets people to the house of sleep is this sort of like new agey, um, you know, we're in this, uh, you know, we're in this very idyllic atmosphere and you're going to be eating healthy and, you know, you know, you're going to be living that sort of yoga lifestyle a little yeah. bit. Mm-hmm. Not to, to interrupt. I'm just curious. Have you seen the movie safe? I have not seen safe. Hayes? No. Oh, okay. uh, you'd like okay. it, uh, probably. Um, it's a Julianne Moore movie from oh, okay. the early 90s. Very uh, good. Um, it's not yeah. really that similar to House of Sleep at all. Beyond that, it kind of ends in this like very um, antiseptic uh, um, okay. like retreat center. And it, it just kind of, So, for listen, I, I, it's okay. not that similar to House of Sleep, although it, okay. both are very good. But I just say it, uh, if anyone's listening who has seen Safe and has not read House of Sleep, if you want to envision okay. what House of Sleep initially seems to be, it's it's like the weird um, desert mm-hmm. retreat center at the end of mm-hmm. at the end of Safe. But uh, it, it is uh, it, it, in Safe, the whole point is that's a safe space, whereas the House of Sleep is yeah. anything but. Uh, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think that's right. <laughs> it, it maybe yeah. seems safe at first and, and isn't particularly safe, partially because not to give too much away partially because yeah it becomes clear that what the diving man says are the stated intentions of the house of sleep are cover for this other thing um yeah and he uh he was an interesting he's a sort of an interesting figure to write he (laughs) he appeared he came to me in dreams before i ever wrote the book uh so i had I don't know how many, a handful of dreams about this guy. Um, and then uh, the guy, the person who really kicked it off in terms of like, oh, this was the missing piece for what the diving man is all about is actually Wim Hof. If you guys are familiar with him. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Wim Hof is this guy who broke all these records about like swimming under ice and climbing Everest in a, in jogging shorts and, yeah, he has these breathing Sounds techniques. Right yeah. And he legitimately does these things, apparently. He he was tested by a university, um, signed, yeah, I think it was Princeton maybe, that he can actually, through an act of will, change the alkalinity of his blood. Like oh. he Is he... Yeah. Yeah, shit. I mean, is he? He must be. Even if even if he doesn't know it, he must I'm be into sure some of the stuff. He is, stuff, and I think right? he presents it on the surface. And this made me that just sounded like I think he's nefarious. I don't think he's nefarious at all. Not Wim Hof. Um, but yeah, I think he's. I think if you know, you go to his retreat, it's probably all like, here's how you breathe. And then if you go to his bookshelf, it's probably, <laughs> it's probably some 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 strange esoteric and occult right. stuff. Yeah. Definitely, because because uh, you know Crow- Crowley himself, uh, who we mentioned earlier, was. I don't think he did anything on like a Wim Hof level, but he yeah, was a, he was yeah. a, a mountaineer and all this. Yeah, like these that, things yeah, go for along. sure. And so getting yeah. kind of into the Wim Hof and, and learning about the breathing stuff and 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 all of that was somewhat of the missing piece for me to understand um, how the diving man looks at the world and the human body and and those sorts of things. Um, 
I made the choice to write parts of the book from his perspective. Um, mostly to begin with, I was just trying to understand what his deal was. And I didn't even know if I would include that mm -hmm. in the book. Um, and then I wrote a handful of these and they're usually these, they're these short sections. They're like, I don't think any of them are longer than three pages. Usually they're a page or two. Um, um, I just liked them so much <laughs> and there's probably three yeah. times as many of them um, that I wrote that, that then that actually show up in the book. Um, and they came, they came really automatically. Um, they required less editing than anything else in the book. Um, and a lot of it was just about figuring out which one goes where. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do those little sections after each chapter yep. where there's a little squiggly <laughs> yeah. and it's yeah. like, a, yep. No, they're 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 excellent, yeah. excellent. Um, yeah, no, I mean he's uh, he, I don't want to give spoilers, but he's he's basically yeah, because again, as we said, there's parts of the book that are very mm -hmm. dreamy, and I would say some of the diving man's intentions are a little bit mm -hmm. mysterious, but he basically wants to usher in yeah. a new reality, yeah. a new paradigm. Yeah, I would say so that. I would say that. Yeah. And yeah. he wants to put himself at, somewhat at the center of it kind of like yeah. almost a demi, yeah. demiurge yeah. of he sorts. He thinks he's going to be yeah. able to do it through a, through, through a sort of a convoluted magical process, taking advantage of, of, you know, these people he's gathered around him. Yeah. Right. So he, it's basically, the the, the House of Sleep is basically presented mm -hmm. to Lynn, the protagonist, who, as I think we mentioned, is dealing with the loss yeah. of her fiance. It's basically presented to her as like a group Yeah, yeah. She's center, tried these right? things or, and it's yeah. like, well, okay, this, sound, this sounds... This sounds cool. This sounds like this will be this will be good, or this will be the thing that I might need to to heal. Which in the New Age community is what you find. You know, part of the inspiration for this book was um, I spent a fair amount of time um, with in the New Age community, specifically around ayahuasca ceremonies, and. Um, mm -hmm. It, it, despite the fact that House of Sleep ends up having these sort of negative connotations, I had nothing but positive experiences in the ayahuasca community. Um, but what you do see is is the kinds of people that seek it. Um, and some people have a big hole in their life and they're desperately trying to find, they're desperate, desperately trying to figure that out. Um, and so they try things. And some people come across something like ayahuasca or, you know, something like this crazy in my book, this crazy retreat that, you know, mm -hmm. in which you're remembering your dreams as clearly as they had, had happened yesterday. Um, and that, that's, that seems that's their approach. It's a, you know, fairly extreme measure to try and to try and find something to heal that thing that's, that's, that's going on with them. And then other people are just curious right it's just like oh this sounds weird yeah um i need to figure what i need to see what mm -hmm. that's all about so mm -hmm. and th there is a chemical dimension in house of sleep too they take a drug mm -hmm. called one yeah. which is basically how yeah, they that whatever chemical yeah. we don't go into the chemistry of it but <laughs> how they it, do what it, they do. it 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 <laughs> puts you it makes your dreams you remember them yeah 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 so and it's um We'll okay. get into psychedelics, yeah. perhaps now. Uh, but uh, I I've never okay. done ayahuasca. Okay. I've actually never yeah. done any psychedelic drugs. Um, but I, but I, be, due to I suppose something of a neurotic, what okay. I perceive as a neurotic temperament on my part, I, you know, I fear 
I fear, I fear them <laughs> in short. That's a, um, that's a, but, that's a perfectly uh, reasonable my, fear to have, I think, for anybody. I, yeah, <laughs> I I mean, yeah, it's scary stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But so I don't speak from a place of experience, but my sense mm-hmm. about ayahuasca, it's not that it makes you Mm-mm. remember your dreams or anything like that, but it is it is basically even compared to, to, to some of the more um day to day type psychedelics like L S D and whatnot, it's it's a fairly oh, dreamy yeah, experience. Ab- absolutely. Now. It um I mean you will uh, you'll have psychic experiences, you will have synest- deeply, deeply synesthetic experiences. You will have encounters with non-human entities. Um, you will, yeah, and you know, make of those any of those. I, I don't make any cosmological claims, but the, but uh, you know, experiential claims for that's what it's like. Um, yeah, you'll you know feel every feeling right. that has ever been felt. <laughs> um, uh, I see. Um, yeah um and it's a tremendously you know deeply aesthetic experience as well i mean it's 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 beautiful it's you know it's it's unbelievably beautiful in a lot of ways Hmm. Um, you um you talk about you're you're brad you're big in sort of like the as being you're you're a proud member of like the online (laughs) i suppose yeah you're you're giving like good writing advice but one interesting yeah yeah one um and we'll talk more on that later but one one piece of advice that i found interesting a little more that had some some more color to it perhaps was that you your recommendation for a young writer is to have a soul shattering (laughs) yeah yeah, absolutely (laughs) i totally agree i mean check with your doctor first but yes yeah for for most people i (laughs) and especially if you're you're gonna you're setting out on an you know if you're like i want to be the best accountant that ever accounted that piece of advice, you know, that piece of advice maybe doesn't matter, but to me artistically, and, and partially I think that comes from me being, um, uh, being a fairly by temperament being, I think a fairly rational person, um, needed to, I needed to have some walls knocked down. Um, so it ended up being quite important for me and maybe other people don't have that problem, but hmm yeah no i my experience is such that the walls being knocked down is a great Mm -hmm. metaphor because we kind of live our lives in um Mm -hmm. in a maze a maze of the the structures that we have created to explain Mm -hmm. the world and the universe and these you know these hallways that we walk through these and um a psychedelic experience depending on the nature of that psychedelic experience can knock down those Mm -hmm. walls and suddenly you see things in a totally different Mm -hmm. way because you're not seeing them the way you see them because you your ego has you you're you know depending on the experience again but you are maybe apart from Mm -hmm. your ego and you're seeing things in a way that you've never seen them before and that is, um, you know, that's very powerful for art and, and powerful just for you. Yeah, to take with yeah, you. yeah, I, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And, and I mean, there are so many sort of levels to it. So it's, it's, it's always tricky. Um, you know, the one thing I've noticed is the sort of whatever, uh, this part of Twitter that I am on, I don't even know what it is. I guess it varies from day to day. There does seem to be recently, (laughs) even I've noticed, and maybe it's just because the people I've started to follow more recently, there does seem to be a, 
uh, skepticism or condescension towards psychedelic experience, which I, yeah, and it seems like it's picking up lately for some reason. Maybe it isn't. Maybe I'm just imagining it. There's ebbs and flows to these things. Um, And and I I, I do understand it. Um, It, to me, though, this isn't like something I'm doing all the time um, or frequently by really any measure. Um, and there is, there are ways to do it and that I think are more productive, if that's the right word and ways to do it that are, that are less productive. Um, the one thing I think I've come to realize is, is, is important is to take it very seriously. Um, um, I had a lot of misadventures in my youth that were just sort of like, here's some stuff and here's some people and we're going to just, you know, eat these mushrooms and have a weird night. And, you know, that wasn't the worst thing ever, um, but it wasn't conducive to the kinds of um, the kinds of psychological health yeah. things, the spiritual aspects, the creative aspects. It didn't yeah. really feed into that all that much um, rather than as opposed to doing later doing it in a much more intentional fashion. Setting yeah, is so think, important. Yeah. It's, I mean, like if you, uh, you know, if you take something in the middle of a club, you're going to have a very different experience. You're going to have perhaps yeah, a terrifying I've, I've been there. Experience. experience. It's not good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, or it's a very different experience than being lying in your bed with mm-hmm. a blindfold and just, you know, psycho right, into your yeah yeah it definitely is and if you do this these things and this is another thing that's been interesting about the ayahuasca tradition um i mean i was i've only done ayahuasca ceremonies with people who have been doing it for a long time have learned aspects of of you know they wouldn't none of them would call themselves shamans but have learned sort of aspects of the shamanic arts through lineages that have been going on for a long time. I mean, people who were drinking ayahuasca in South America thousands of years ago um, and um, yeah. getting and the care that they show for, um, you know, their practices literally to prevent evil spirits from entering the room. And nobody forces you to believe that, but it's like, you don't, you can believe whatever you want as a participant, but, but as the shaman, the person running it, they're, they're sort of like, but I know that if I don't do this, bad <laughs> things are going to happen in this room. So I'm going to do some stuff that looks very woo-woo to everybody else. But I know after thousands of times doing this, that it's incredibly important for everybody's experience in the room. Yeah. Yeah. So you get, and they, they are wrong. wrong. So, yes. They, so you get, yeah. you know, smudging and Palo Santo and praying and the music happens in a very particular way. And, um, you know, you, you ingratiate yourself to nature and in all of these things. And it's it's to me is an important part of part of the whole process. And this is how you keep demons yeah. from getting in. Literally, like, I don't know if literally, but almost the mind, I don't doubt it. Yeah. It's a powerful uh-huh. thing. Like you, when you are, you know, standing apart from your ego and the way you interpret mm-hmm. events and you realize like, oh, that's, it's actually like the first, you know, lines of your novel. The mind mm-hmm. is an ocean. It mm-hmm. is an ocean. It's this roiling mm-hmm. thing. 
And when you, you step away from, and I'm grateful when yes. I come back to it because I'm like, well, thank God I have this ego, this way that I can navigate right. the world because um, it's impossible right. if you don't have, like the ego is like, it's good to step sure. away from it. But if this little buddy isn't yeah. there, you're just going to be, you're, you're going to be lost. lost. I mean, you don't, you won't know, you know, I, the most extreme example is like, you won't be able to feed yourself because you don't know what mouth to put the food in. Like you need to have, you yeah. need to have a certain amount of self-interest, right? But but to be able to step away from it and, and kind of reassemble it uh, upon re-entry is, is super, super valuable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, do, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt that the psychedelic experiences are extremely valuable and you know maybe maybe i will do it later in life and it maybe it's not for the worst i think it's kind of a, a notion that like oh you right. do that stuff in college right. and i did not but also you know and some college students might do it in a i'm sure there spiritually are spiritually serious right. way but a lot of them don't you know so maybe it's for the best that i i have this yeah you might be able to come into it with a very me like I, you know come into it very deliberately and very you know you'll do some reading beforehand and and think about how you're going to try to lay out the experience and all that kind of stuff and i yeah certainly certainly that's how i do it i mean i'll just say uh, because i think it's mm -hmm. a little bit interesting uh i, I have never done psychedelic. I, I i was like revved up to like you know like many american kids like revved up mm -hmm. to maybe try them in college or whatever and then but i had barely like mm -hmm. even like smoked marijuana or anything in high school so i like Early on in college, I just take this massive bong hit that I'm yeah. not ready for. <laughs> no. I know it sounds dumb to some people because some people like never have bad experiences with pot. But oh my god, like I actually felt mm. like I was in hell. Like I, that's yep. you know you talk about demons. Like I felt like yeah. I was like I've never like I've never in my life. And this right. is just one hit of marijuana. Yeah, it's kind of weird, but this was my experience. I, I never in my life had felt so much like I was in the presence. I, I of get that. I one evil. of the maybe the worst one of the worst drug experiences in particular because it didn't have any redeeming qualities to it at all like sometimes like a bad trip and ends up you ended up having to confront some stuff you really needed to confront so it sucked but it was good in the in the long run um but like yeah. one of the worst and unredeemable drug experiences i ever had was eating an was eating an edible that was a little bit you know too big for my britches um yeah. Right, and you hear this a lot. That's actually one thing that makes me think, oh, maybe psychedelics are because, like that, basically that yeah. experience scared yeah. me off of like. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I had a because I, I so a, never I had, like, wanted to go attack, back there. Basically, yeah, it was diff it was difficult. But <laughs> well, yeah, no, I'm sorry to hear, but increasing yeah. like in years since this was like 2014, yeah. 2015 when this happened to me. So it was like, right. oh, pot so mild. But in the years since then, as as marijuana has become legal in more places, and people have started talking about it and how much higher content it has of THC. Yeah. I hear more and more of people yeah. saying what you just said, that my worst drug experience ever. So I don't know. Maybe I actually – I always assumed if, if, if I couldn't even handle yeah. THC, then I should yeah. never try anything else. But it's quite possible that THC in high doses – Yeah, let me give blows. you – I, I have one piece of advice <laughs> – only one piece of advice. I don't have any dogmas about any of this stuff. But if – and this is for anybody who's listening who might be curious to go in these waters. If you are having a hard time – Sit up straight and sing. Just sing anything. Doesn't matter what you sing. It can just be repetitive. It can be beatboxing. It can be a song that you like. You could be making it up. It doesn't matter. Just sit up straight and sing. And I guarantee it'll be better. <laughs> hmm. No, that's that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. It's, yeah.
I mean, yeah, I, I don't know if I'll ever try this stuff, but it does, just to bring bring yeah. the conversation in a circle, it does seem like this is one way to uh, to let go of yeah, those Yeah, a little bit, perhaps, a little bit. You know? Yeah, yeah, you gotta, you gotta come back and <laughs> yeah. hang on to them at some point, but but uh, it doesn't hurt to occasionally have a, have a, have a, I mean, it's, it's called the trip for a reason, right? It's, it's, it's not a bad idea yeah. sometimes to, to take a trip of, it's not a bad idea to take a trip in the real world either, right? To, to go on a, you know, go on a trip to someplace you've never been um, and doing it sort of inside the confines of your skull in a, in a safe, relatively safe way um, is, is good. I mean, the other thing I think people talk about sort of the dangers of this stuff, most of it from a chemical standpoint is very safe. Um, you know, mushrooms in particular are very, are probably the safest thing you can take that we call a drug from a chemical standpoint. Um, but in terms of sort of psychologically, there are some risks, but to me, there are also like the risks are less than, uh, my Twitter addiction. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I'm just constantly bombarding myself with info hazards and, um, and to think that that's somehow not somehow taking a, a, a mushroom is going to be worse than that is, is, is debatable at least. Right. And it seems like, um, you know, you hear about like mm-hmm. a acid burnout or whatever, like, it seems like if you approach it with the, the, the mm-hmm. right amount of seriousness and, you know, don't necessarily do it. Oh yeah. That's yeah, weekend that's, in yeah. <laughs> terrible settings. Like, yeah, it seems like you'll be fine. You know, it just, it seems like most, yeah, mo- mo- a degree of moderation, but yeah, no, I, I, I think the thing with the acid burnouts yeah. is that's a real thing. I think what a lot of that is, is doing it a lot before like the age of 25, you know, doing just hundreds yeah. of doses before your brain is even stabilized and you even know who you are. I think that's right. risky yeah. for sure. Um, but yeah, you know, yeah. uh, once a year or once a season as a full grown adult who knows you know, who knows who they are, um, in the careful situation, you know, a, a deliberate way. I, I think it's mostly going to be good for, for, for most people. Also, this is not medical <laughs> no. advice. I'm not a, I'm not a doctor, uh, despite, uh, what anyone may think, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but schizophrenia which is you know probably what we're Mm -hmm. dancing around is the idea the notion that you will take psychedelics and awaken latent schizophrenia that is something that um is from what i understand more likely than not to come out when you are a teen when you are a young adult i mean where i I think Matt's uh, a little younger than I am. I think maybe we're about the same age, but uh, I think we're all, none of us are really young adults anymore. Yeah. So if, yeah. So if you're going to have some kind of genetic predisposition to a particular kind of mental illness, like schizophrenia, it would would already happened (laughs) probably. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I know. Again, it's like uh, I, I'm not. I'm not saying I'm gonna yeah. go out and, and now do this stuff, but it's probably not the worst thing that I. Yeah, at, yeah. At yeah, it's a. So. It's it's a. Not not. No, no, and, and yeah, anyway. I, obviously everybody's got to come to this with their own. I I I find myself in an odd position with it because I, like, uh, do you guys know Owen Cyclops on Twitter? Yeah, so he has a great yeah. thread about. Um, uh, it's an old thread. It's been around for years, but it's fantastic about. 
um, demonic forces in the DMT experience and basically why he doesn't why he you know says you shouldn't be doing this stuff at all it's funny because i agree with his thread almost entirely and at the same time i think um i think i think all the risks he talks about are a hundred percent real and i think you can still have the experience and navigate the experience and dodge them so yeah no, it's like, that's my impression of, of them is that and also, I think, and this is one thing I wanted to ask about, you know, the, the relation, maybe it doesn't, it's, it's almost like so, so basic, it barely needs to be talked about, but the relationship between psychedelic experiences mm-hmm. and the occult mm-hmm. stuff you're talking it's, about, it's, they're, experientially, right. they're different because the occult stuff is about, a, you know, certain practice, usually practice right. under sober mind, yeah. though, not necessarily. So sometimes mm-hmm. there's literal crossover and and psychedelic experience right. is a drug experience so but but they're kind of part and parcel yeah of the same i thing, think so you know? yeah. yeah and and within that as i said that i believe there are pitfalls to the occult stuff it's like i think yes you are entering into a realm where there are mm-hmm. demons mm-hmm. whether you interpret those literally or figuratively you are delving into a spiritual dimension and there are there's a light and a dark side Absolutely. to that 100%. dimension, undoubtedly. But it doesn't necessarily mean it should be avoided yeah. entirely, just with the degree of right. caution right. might right. be the operative word. Although, as you said, you know, I said I, I fear psychedelics, and you said that was valid. And I think it's because, again, not to be too literal-minded about it, but it's this sense that I may <laughs> come into contact with yeah. something hellish yeah. or demonic. <laughs> I, I, I mean, literally I, feel that. I yeah. have encountered those things right like yeah i don't they're there they're in there yeah 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 so it's wild yeah um okay well just a couple Mm -hmm. more questions here um do you want to and we've talked about this a bit but do you want to what um what sort of new age uh, practices do you yeah. engage in, Brad? To the extent you're comfortable, and you can also just parlay this totally into talking about. Oh yeah, about yeah. No, I'm happy. I'm happy to talk about. It. I mean, I I don't have a ton of different practices. I have um that are that would be considered new age or occult even, but I you know, I have um actually this is i i circled back around after doing a lot of different things to literally just praying in the morning so i have a grad i have to right. i have a gratitude sort of ritual in which i have to i i think of three things that i'm thankful for one small one big and one that's negative and um i i i thank god i guess for those um yeah and then i have a, a sort of an affirmational sort of poem kind of thing that I came up with that, that I used to, to orient myself for the day. And then I, and this is pretty much every day. Um, um, and then I sing for three minutes uh, or so. I just make something up. Um, and this is something that came out of my ayahuasca experiences where um, the music was so integral um, to that experience that um, I now it's it's sort of like a means for trying to get momentarily closer to whatever god is uh and it's like i don't speak his his language and you know he doesn't talk directly to me but somehow if i sing 
and I'm not a musically inclined person generally. Like I don't play an instrument or anything. Um, and my this thing that I sing is it's basically glossolalia. It's it's rhythmic, but beyond that, I don't think it has any artistic merit whatsoever. Um, mm. It's really not about that. It but in that moment, I feel several minutes of of communion. Um, yeah, that's yeah, amazing. And I, yeah. Well, no, I think no, it's, that, that's and I have a couple of other things, too. I will do um, I do a concentration exercise occasionally in which I just uh, I try to bring as close to possible a f I, I will look at something. Usually a, a little I have a little statuette of an owl. I usually use that just because it's handy and I will look at it and then I close my eyes and for I try to maintain the image of it and look at it from as many angles as possible for as long as I can until I can't see it anymore. Yeah, a little bit of transcendental mm -hmm. meditation yeah. in there, perhaps. I just think it's case in point, and this is, again, the conclusion that I end my renaissance mm -hmm. of the ritual piece with, uh, that, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe it's perhaps similar to psychedelics, too. You hear about people finding very ostensibly wholesome types of practices mm -hmm. through psychedelic experience. You, you start off, and maybe maybe you're coming from a more atomized perspective. You know, you start off, you're you're willing to delve into the unknown, wherever it leads you. You know, there's an openness. Um, but sometimes where you end up is again, like there's nothing about in what you just described that goes against the uh, the teachings of most no. traditional religions. In fact, in fact, uh, traditional religions basically deal in the same. Mm -hmm stuff i mean i think that was a big part of the point i was trying to make with my substack is that like these are through sort of mm -hmm. occult research and practice you can sort of find what i not being a you know trained psychologist or or religious religion studies person but like what seemed to me to be like the basic elements the basic stuff that is then transmuted and reified mm -hmm. into tradition mm -hmm. and um yeah, no, I, I think that one everyone can kind of rediscover, no matter where they are, no matter if they're cut off from tradition or not, if they're on a deserted island, you know, you can still tap into that basic sense of mystery and the, the basic sort of aesthetic responses one can have, whether yeah. it's song or meditation, uh, you, you can always tap into those basic mm -hmm. responses. Uh, and I think that's kind of an amazing... Yeah, and there's just a bunch thing. of there's just many many ways yeah. to get there. You know, right? There's many 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 roads to kind of the same place for sure. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And the other the other thing that I engage with less often for myself because um, I think for your for an individual you can actually overdo it um, is is tarot. So um, yeah. uh, I I write um, I try to do it once a month, but I've been a little bit um, delinquent. Um, I write. Um, sort of investigations of one card at a time. I'm going to do that whole deck. It's going to take me years. I do. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah Bradkellyesque.com. Right? Yeah, you yeah. find it on there. Um, yep. uh, and I've done, I think 12 or 13 now. Um, there's 78 cards in the deck. So do one a month. It takes a while. Um, so, but there's a lot of value in that to me. I usually give myself a reading maybe once a season or so. Uh, not, usually not very more often than that, though my writing about the individual cards requires me to go pretty deep on that one card. So you could say that I'm giving myself kind of a something like a tarot reading all the time. Um, 
And the value in that is there, there's, there's, uh, again, there's a lot of woo-woo around it. Um, I, I don't use it for predicting the future at all. To me, it's a means of, it's a system for um, thinking more carefully about what's going on. So you, you get a symbol and you're sort of at posing yourself as like, what about my life makes sense in relate in conversation with this symbol right now and then you're doing a spread so you're doing multiple symbols and putting them into a narrative and you're kind of telling yourself a story about yourself and you're making it kind of you're you're bending the symbols so that they make sense for your own life and oftentimes i get pretty profound insights about you know who i am and what i'm doing and what should i be doing next and what what should i what kind of sense can i make of this thing that happens to me and 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 all of that so it's a, it's a, it's like having, um, it's like, it's like if you had somebody in your neighborhood who's really wise and you really respected their opinion and every once in a while you went, went to them and you asked some, them some questions and they weren't able to say like, this is exactly what's going to happen to you. Right. <laughs> they're, they're, right. they're just kind of sharing their wisdom. Oftentimes if you ask the tarot a question, the answer it will give you, or at least my perspective of the answer it will give you is it will start to poke holes in why you were asking that question to begin with. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. You have all these things. I think it's important to kind of bring mm-hmm. them back down to earth a little bit. It's not about, as you said, it's not about no. predicting the future. Yeah. It's about, and it, there might be some metaphysical you know, qualities to it. I mean, I don't think there needs to be, I guess is the thing. Yeah. Right. I think what, yeah, exactly. And I, I think mm-hmm. I might say that in my piece too, like you can be, it's probably good not to it's probably good to be open to the metaphysical and the transcendental yeah. possibilities in some of this stuff because that makes it that much more right. interesting and fun but i think it's perfectly acceptable to be very mm-hmm. agnostic uh about it and yeah. that one almost must be because uh, otherwise if, if you take it too literally you're it's going to be yet another form right. of agree i agree with that probably, yeah right so to just embrace it as an aesthetic experience uh, and allow it to influence your life i think is where the reward uh, lies. And, and that's also the relation between some of this mm-hmm. stuff and, and art. You know, it's, you are, you're doing something creative and you're allowing to influence mm-hmm. your life. Um, but then you're not, you're not clinging to it too tightly either. You just kind of right. let it be. You approach right. it with a certain. Well, uh, yeah. Well, in the, the artistic zen. process yeah. is, is, isn't as easy to disambiguate from any kind of, you know, religious or mystical or whatever practice really. I mean, I, I was kind of giving you my quick breakdown of what I do in the morning to sort of get myself in the right place. Most mornings, mm-hmm. I then immediately write. So where is the, the right? Yeah. Well, so the lines between question. these yeah. things are a little bit are, are a little bit blurry, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So so they they're all they all kind of come together, which you know doesn't doesn't mean that for somebody who hasn't read my stuff and may be interested in it's not like i'm right these are not like religious texts house of sleep isn't like a religious text though it touches on kind of on religion so it's not it's not when i say it's sort of bound up in anything like a mystical practice this doesn't mean this is like um uh whatever the uh the uh revelations or something right it's 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 right but you know you are definitely it's a novel, yeah. It's a novel, but <laughs> yeah. still, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> but but the lines between the you know something like a like a like a prayer and something like writing a novel, I don't think the lines between those two things are as clear as they may seem. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree. Especially kind of once you start to delve deeper into this, um, you realize it's all coming from the same yeah, place yeah. within you. And um, yeah, to not strictly regiment each experience, I think is is beneficial. Uh, that that mm-hmm. provides a natural segue uh, again because you uh, you know you do you do post you know some good uh, good good writer right. Yeah, I hope I do. I'm just trying to you know I'm just like Twitter. everybody else on Twitter. I'm trying to get followers, but but also you know. <laughs> right, right, right. But you know, it's a lot of the stuff you say is just you know the basic advice that is nevertheless good to be reminded of over and over i mean basically what does it come down to writing yeah every morning i try to i try to be every every morning and usually i'm pretty i mean that's required some shaping of my life because you know i have a i have a day job so that means you know that means that means waking up at about four o'clock in the morning usually so uh yeah so which then requires going you know it 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 distorts it distorts a normal life to some extent for sure um yeah yeah it took me a long time to get a better morning writing practice how many uh how many hours Uh, you put in yeah i mean i I do kind of like a loose pomodoro thing where i write for like 25 minutes and then i take like a five minute break or whatever so and and then because the engineer part of me needs to keep track of things or else i'll feel like i'm not doing anything i i usually get uh somewhere between 20 and 25 25 minute sessions in a week which isn't a lot it's like 10 yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like 10 hours um yeah yeah that's, that's yeah yeah good. it's pretty good yeah 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 no I, i'm not gonna lie i definitely <laughs> asked that because i was worried you're just, like, <laughs> no. i write for four Here, hours before work. i'll give like, you well, i'll give I'm you a so i had uh, when i was in um graduate school alan gerganis who wrote uh, the great book um oldest living confederate widow tells all is a great is a great man he told me nobody writes for four hour four hours or, or more than four hours a day and if they tell you they do they're lying <laughs> yeah <laughs> now yeah, that yeah, might no, be I be- I one that, day yeah. maybe you might have a one-off day or you do it with a deadline or something but he's like right. nobody is consistently writing for four hours most people aren't wired that you're not wired that way i right how yeah. much can you have in your yeah. soul i don't know go on. i had a period where uh right when yeah. covid hit i was yeah. furloughed and so suddenly i had a lot yeah. of time and so i you know kind of yeah. bore down and i started really writing yeah. my novel and so i um i wrote yeah. every day it was yeah, my job awesome. and yeah i i rarely wrote more mm-hmm. than four hours mm-hmm. a day like that was the right. upward limit and that was of right. necessity because like I couldn't really write yeah. more than that. It was like, that's like all your, that was all mm-hmm. my creativity was going to give me yeah. that day. And like, also like you need to maintain a right. normal life right. to right. write. You need to be going out and exercising. Mm-hmm. You need to be making mm-hmm. dinner. You need to be, yeah. yeah, you can't, I mean, I guess you could do the Stephen King. I'm on cocaine and I'm writing right. a novel in right. like three right. days. That's, I mean, that's perhaps... Well, he's a freak of nature. He's a freak of nature, too, right? I mean, whatever you think about Stephen King's books, he's, I mean... Yeah. There's a lot of them. And they're competent. Even if you don't like them, they are competent, right? They are, like... That's a book. Those are real books. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, he's a freaking... That guy's a freak of nature. I mean, I had a similar experience in grad school. I didn't have any responsibilities but to write. Like, I literally didn't have to do anything else. And four hours was the most I... If I was... If I... 
if I had a streak of any of more than that for more than a couple of days, everything else fell apart. I started drinking too much. I was smoking too much. You know, wasn't talking to people like just Yeah. Yeah. It's no good. So. And other yeah. people don't understand. Like, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I wrote a thousand yeah. words today. And they'll be like, oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but for you, it's like, wow, yeah. this is a this is a productive is, day in my own mind. Day. Yeah, yeah. Thousand words is thousand words is, uh, should be a good day of writing in anybody's book. I think. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. No. With uh, I'm on like a one hour before work type schedule now, which which works. I I do find the morning. Is uh, for mm. the reasons everyone says is 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 the best because your mind mm. is mm. freshest. Um, but yeah, no, I just want to say like you know writing the writing habit is like anything mm. else we were talking about. It's kind of uh, you have to sort of hypnotize yourself into yes. just doing it and doing yeah. it as yeah. a ritual. Uh, mm. Ideally, every day mm. uh, if you can. Yeah, um, I, I'm going on. That's I'm, been I'm going on a little vacation soon, and and I'm really looking forward to it. But I'm also like, oh man, that's going to be like two weeks again back on track. A week away will be like two weeks to like I'm back in a rhythm. Yeah, it's very it's very disruptive. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, that's no, all. It's all, it, all about it really that. Is all about one that day rhythm. to the next for sure. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, we've uh, kept cool. you two hours. Yeah, this is a great awesome. conversation. Awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm looking great, forward to getting uh, this one up. Great catching up and you know. Yeah, yeah. It's good. To, yeah, it's good to meet you guys too and put you know interacting with each other on twitter and stuff and that's cool to like actually put names to face. it's so funny i've like actually met so many not in person but this way i've met so many twitter people now it's really cool to just uh the the, the benefits of the internet is the, the sort of the promise was like oh you get to meet like like you'll get to actually meet like-minded people and i feel like that's only actually come true for yeah. me in the last year so that's been it's been really cool and this is definitely part of that so um yeah, yeah absolutely all right. Well, unless either of you have anything to add, I think we no, can just uh, listen off. to Art of Dark Pod. Um, we got a. I'm gonna. I'm gonna promo. I'm. I'm learning how to promote myself. So, uh, and Kevin would kill me if he heard this and he, I didn't give the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Absolutely. No, um, no, yeah, yeah definitely. We've got, listen a, to Art we've of got Dark an episode on podcast. Chelsea Hotel um, coming out uh, next week, and we just did an episode on H.P. Lovecraft, which. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I gotta good. hear the Lovecraft yeah. one because I'm a I'm a that's fan. Good. I gotta listen to that one. Um, but yeah, also people should check out Brad's website, Brad Kelly. Yeah, please, please do. Yeah, com, and I'm on right? Twitter at at Brad yeah. Kelly K E L L Y, and I'm on there all the time, so I'm easy yeah. to find. Yeah, I just want to say about Brad's website. I mean, you have uh, plenty of links and reviews of House of Sleep on there. Again, uh, you obviously did a good job sending it out pretty widely because there's yeah, a lot of different. I, Kinds of, you even got a Kirkus I, review. I do, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I've action, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I do. I've got a, a, a pretty positive Kirkus review, so that's exciting. From coming from the self-published world, um, that is this is hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, it's, yeah, it's yeah, difficult yeah, to get attention. So um, I'm gradually learning how to do it. So that has been a lot of fun. No, yeah, you got you got yeah. a lot of good Amazon reviews. Dude. Yeah. You definitely got the book out there, and you have some I short do. stories up there too. Mm -hmm. And that tarot. 
uh, those tarot card descriptions we mentioned. So yeah, yeah. And one thing I'm not good at, very out. good at promoting. Um, House of Sleep at bradkellyesque.com. Um, the first third of it is actually free in audio, so you can find it. You can find it there. Just click oh, on it. You, you can listen to it like Spotify and Spotify or whatever, just like you'd listen to a podcast. Um, that's you know that's totally free. You can get a taste. Um, I'm not a very good voice actor, but you know it's there. <laughs> so so. Nice. Yeah, no, I think that's a that's a that's a pretty brilliant way to, to get out there. I actually yeah. kind of want to do that with my book. It's a lot of work, man. About that. I was going to do the whole book, and we just gave up. Oh, no, no, sorry, no, no. This, is too, this is too much. I got yeah. to do other things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I think with all that being said, uh, Brad yeah, Kelly, it's been great having so you on the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Be well. Great to have you on.